Hello and welcome to the Oaks Sermon Podcast. This week we continue our sermon series, The Promised. Annie will be leading us in The Promised King. Enjoy. Good morning, church. I hope you've been blessed with this morning's worship. Well, it's Palm Sunday. It's a joyous event. We're in the Easter story and we're second part into our new series in church. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone says Palm Sunday to me, it reminds me of Sunday school. They kind of make their cute palm branches, they'll wave them, maybe they'll do like a little parade around the church. We always try and make it this really fun, energetic event in our church. And it actually is a really fun time just in primary schools in general. Even I didn't even go to a Christian, you know, school and we still did an activity from time to time all about Palm Sunday because it's fun, it's energetic, it's joyous. And so I'm excited for this morning. I'm excited to bring that kind of joy and energy, but also excited to share God's word with you. Now, Palm Sunday is a really great time for Sunday school kids. It's a time for them to get involved. But it also has some really important issues and messages that we want to talk about this morning, that I want to talk about this morning. And Palm Sunday is one of those Sundays that you've heard time and time again in churches. It is, you know, part of the Easter story, the Easter event. And so you may have heard many preachers before about Palm Sunday. And maybe I'm not going to bring anything new, but... I do pray that this morning I bring fresh revelation, I bring a new perspective and you are blessed this morning. And so we're going to delve into it. We are in John 12 verses 12 to 19. So we're going to first kick it off with reading together. So I'm reading from the NLT version. I know some of you that like your paper copies maybe take a little bit longer to find your passage and I've got my handy digital copy here. Okay, hope you're ready. Here we go. Verses 12 says, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfilment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realised that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went to see him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. So today's title of the sermon is The Promised King. And I wonder what you think about when you hear the word king. Is it the shiny crowns, the jewels, the palaces, the things that we see on movies? Or is it a simple man? What kind of things come to your mind when you think about king? 
because you know in church we use this lingo and it is biblical it's not mumbo jumbo but you might hear it and think what does that even mean we say Jesus is king of heaven Jesus is king of kings but what does that actually mean what does that bring to mind when we try and grasp what the king of heaven looks like I know for me, I find it really tricky because I have in my head this idea of what I've been told a king should be like, as in, you know, royalty on earth. So we're talking about palaces, we're talking about riches, gold, a crown, all this fancy stuff around them. That is what our world says a king should look like. But it's not necessarily the king we're talking about this morning. We are talking about Jesus we're talking about the king of heaven and as we go through this preach together I hope you see that what we think about the king on in earth is like is very different from the king in heaven you know I'm not saying it's wrong to think that when we think of the word king we think of these flashy things and all the riches because quite honestly we've been fed that information but we need to make it really clear and have a biblical grounding of what we talk about when we're saying you know, God is king or Jesus is king. Often when someone says they're king of something, we don't picture an everyday man riding on a donkey, totally normal scene here. We picture this grand spectacle. So imagine this scene. Imagine that you felt you lost all control. The government was taking all your money. You weren't allowed to go out at certain times. Sounds sort of familiar, but anyway, (laughs) there were soldiers everywhere who were willing to use violence to get their own way. And you had a ruler who saw himself as superior, who was the ultimate one who thought basically, you know, it was his birthright to be in charge. And then you hear about a guy that has raised someone from the dead. Let me say this again. You have heard that someone has raised someone from death. Now, I know we talk in church all the time. It's almost become normalised that we talk about people being raised from the dead, like left, right and centre. But I don't know about you, but I have never seen that happen. I've never seen someone raised from the dead because it's just wild in my brain. Like, I just can't comprehend. And, you know, the nurses of our church probably their minds are blown like crazy because they know the medical science that is behind somebody physically dying and then being raised to life. Like it is a miraculous sign. So you can imagine when they have heard that somebody, this, you know, new special person has raised someone from the dead, they're going to see who they're talking about. Who is this man who is this person that has this insane power that we have heard is going to be king this idea that all this control and taxes on us and you know not being able to go places that can all be set free by this one man and you picture this crowd and think how excited the people were to see jesus they have heard jesus is powerful is mighty it's gonna you know probably has ideas that they're gonna overthrow the romans we're gonna be set free party woohoo like all of this stuff is coming to their minds when they are thinking about jesus riding through town they say hail to the king of israel they are looking for a proper 
king. They are looking for that king that maybe me and you think about, that has the power, the riches, the, you know, the authority. That's the king that when these people rush to create crowds around Jesus, that is the king in their minds that they are hoping to see. They are hoping to see someone that is powerful, that is going to overthrow the Romans and set them free. If I'm honest, I would be excited for that. If I was living in that captivity, feeling, you know, persecuted, when you hear something like this and it kind of whispers through the crowd, you would get excited. And the problem is, is that, you know, it got all carried away. People would start telling people and then we think, oh, wow, this is the king that's coming. And just all this excitement led to this scene. Jesus riding on a donkey through Jerusalem and crowds and crowds of people are excited. They're shouting Hosanna. They're shouting hail to the king of Israel. They are excited to see who this man is that is going to change their lives. But you see, Jesus didn't care about being that king. Jesus wasn't interested in being the king that people thought he should be, that king that is going to overthrow the Romans, that king that is going to be super powerful and mighty and going to tell them no and maybe even, you know, use certain violence or whatever they did at that time to overthrow the king. That's not what he was interested in. He was interested in what the father had given him her task to do. So I want us to see this morning that Jesus didn't go by the expectations of the people that were there. He wasn't interested in what they thought. They wanted a king. They wanted someone to set them free from the Romans, to make a big song and dance over it, and to make a spectacle. But that is not what Jesus came to do. That is not the king we are talking about this morning. Being a king in their eyes wasn't what Jesus was following. It says in verse 13 that crowds started taking palm branches. So that's the thing, you know, in Sunday school that we wave the green, lovely palm trees. And, you know, palm branches were a sign of victory. So people were waving it to almost solidify the fact that this man is going to be victorious over our government. Like this man is going to overthrow the powers that be right now. That is why they wave palm branches. And yes, of course, Jesus is victorious. But that looks so different to what Jesus was expecting versus what the people were expecting. You know, it was the people in the crowd saying, we believe you'll have victory over the Romans because their perspective of what a king looked like was different to actually what God wanted the king to look like and who God had sent out. And I think so often we get confused with our expectation of God. We put what we think God should look like, what Jesus should look like and put it in heaven. We think, oh, God is just going to bless us. He's so wonderful. He's so caring. And so when other stuff goes wrong, we sort of go, hang on a second. That's that's not the that's not the king I thought we were having. I thought the king in heaven with someone that is going to, you know, and we're talking about now, not talking about in biblical times, I'm talking about now. Sometimes we can have that perspective, which is, well, God is here to bless me, to love me, to look after me, to care for me. 
And then when things like the pandemic hit, when tough times hit, when unexpected things hit, our illusion of what God looks like is shattered. Because what we've actually done is put our expectation onto Jesus and we've put what we expect and what we want to be provided for us and that is the vision that is serving God. But that's not what God is interested in. That's certainly not what Jesus was interested in when he was riding through that crowd. He wasn't thinking, oh, look at me, everyone's going to think I'm the saviour. He knew already the prophecy that was in front of him. He knew what the father had sent him to do. And it was okay that he knew and the others didn't. That time was coming where he would reveal all this stuff to them. But we need to sometimes check ourselves and go, are we being like that crowd? Are we thinking about Jesus from our own perspective and then putting that on God instead of actually reading what's in the Bible, getting to know the Father's heart and realising what actually the King of Heaven looks like? In Isaiah 55 verses 8 to 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. For my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And you know, this verse is talking about how God's thinking, God's perspective, what God wants for us is higher than anything that we can imagine. It's higher and it's greater. It says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. So the thoughts of the crowd, the thoughts of the people are not the thoughts of what Jesus had in mind. That's not, the, it was not sharing the same perspective. And we can get so caught up in the excitement of the crowd, of the hype. You know, I've been to Soul Survivor. I've been to many um, Christian festivals time and time again. And I always have to catch myself to go, Am I here because I'm listening to the Father and worship is abundant and great? Or am I being caught up in the crowd? And I'm not saying, you know, festivals or Christian, you know, big gatherings are a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we can be sucked into just that excitement, just that hype. And, you know, it turns into actually a hype fest for ourselves. Instead of refocusing and going, Jesus, what do you want? What are you trying to say in this moment? Instead of being like, how amazing is this? There's so many of us and God's going to do all these amazing things and it's going to be incredible. Ah, and, and it just runs away. You just get run away like the crowd did in this moment. And, you know, Jesus wasn't there for the attention. He wasn't there so everyone would know that he could overthrow the Romans. He wasn't there to make all this noise. He didn't ask for these crowds to come. You know, it's difficult when churches make it an us thing. Like I said, like, oh, God's going to bless me. God loves me. God is going to do all these things for me. And sometimes I just think we need to shift our perspective and think, God, what do you want? What is your kingdom for? Like, what are you saying? And we will be led by that. And I think the crowd would have reacted maybe differently or definitely the disciples would have reacted differently if they'd had that different perspective. But, you know, 
There's certain things that we associate with kings that are correct for this situation. So Jesus does have authority, just like a king does, yeah? Jesus does have power and dominion over everything. Jesus is the one on the throne. So all these sort of connotations and ideas about what a king looks like, some of them are correct, but we need to make sure we're biblically factual and what that really looks like and what that means. Because they are totally different, you know, from Jesus being the king of heaven, the king of Israel, versus if one of us was in that position. You know, it, it looks so different when we think about from God's perspective versus from our perspective. And so we read on to verses 15 and 16 and we're getting to the part where Jesus is riding on a donkey. Again, this is one of those things that I generally think just gets washed over. Like we hear about this and we talk about, God, uh, you know, Jesus riding on a donkey and isn't that great and Hosanna and whatever. And I don't know, like I've just been in churches sometimes where I felt like this is such a significant point that I don't want to miss. The fact that Jesus was riding on a donkey and it always looks nice in pictures and it always sounds a little bit strange. And I think, I don't know, I just feel like it sometimes passes us by. But this is a big statement. This was done on purpose. So let, let's just think for two seconds. What movie have you watched where the hero of the movie comes in a donkey? Just spend... 30 seconds trying to rack your brain of all the movies that you've watched what hero do we know that has ridden out on a donkey you know end scene the hero has come or the prince has come or king or whatever are they riding on a donkey no they ride on a you know a grand steed a big horse something that's majestic that's powerful yeah just i just i can't grasp this enough how important this is so Narnia is one of my you know, favourite films to portray the Christian story. I think it does such a brilliant job of trying to capture for, you know, kids and adults what it looks like, you know, what the Easter story looks like and how Jesus came to be. If you haven't watched it, I'd seriously recommend it. Uh, yeah, just give it a watch. But I'm going to show you a picture from one of the war scenes in Narnia. And I just want you to have a quick look. What are you seeing here? Are you seeing majestic animals, powerful animals, things that are, you know, coming into battle? Where is the donkey in that? Can you spot it? No, neither can I. Because the thing is, donkeys are not used for war. Donkeys are not used as a power statement it's not what warriors come in to save the day it's just not donkeys are not seen as majestic they're placid animals they're calm they are a sense of peace donkeys were labor animals they were an animal that people would put stuff on to carry for them so they didn't have to carry it on their own backs they were they were a serving animal they served people and so the fact that, you know, the crowd are thinking, wow, this is an amazing king that's going to overthrow the Romans and Jesus comes in on a donkey was surprising. 
You expect someone that is that important and that special to be coming in a grand spectacle. I, I'm, all I could think about is the scene from Aladdin where Aladdin comes in and he's got this huge elephant and he's got this big parade. Like, that's what you'd expect for someone that is going to change your life. When you hear about all the whispers about like, this is the king, he's going to overthrow everything, he's going to set us free, all this stuff. That is what you envision, this scene from Aladdin. But it's not. Jesus rode in on a calm, little placid, young donkey. That is how he enters. And it totally contrasts what people expected of him. So my second point this morning is to know that Jesus did the unexpected. Jesus does the unexpected. He came on a donkey, that sign of peace and not of status. He didn't travel through Jerusalem for the crowds. They came because they heard about a miracle that had happened. Jesus spoke to the people in society that were outcasts, the people that other people just didn't want to know about. You know, he, he came doing the unexpected. He rode on a donkey instead of coming in on a glorious animal. And the people were expecting a king. And I wonder what they thought at the time when he rode through on a donkey. Jesus does the unexpected. In Luke 19, it talks about a tax collector. We're talking about Zacchaeus and how he was stealing money from people. He was very selfish and was always, you know, trying to swindle money out of people. And nobody liked him. I'm sure you wouldn't like the, you know, the really selfish tax man that's trying to take all your money. You'd be like, like just no one liked him and Jesus came to his house called him out from a tree called him by name and sat and ate with him it was unexpected people were not expecting Jesus this you know royal mighty holy man to sit down and eat in Zacchaeus's house it was unexpected in Luke 5, it talks about how Jesus healed a man from leprosy. Now, if you had leprosy at the time, you would have sort of boils all over you. You'd see, be seen as unclean. A sick man that was outcast. Nobody wanted to deal with him. Nobody wanted to touch him. No, everybody thought that if they were in the presence of a leper, that they would catch that disease. And you know what Jesus did? He came over to him, he spoke to him, he held his hand, he touched that skin that other people were, you know, just deemed unclean and unworthy. Jesus did the unexpected. Luke 7 talks about a sinful woman. The Bible says sinful woman, but another way is that we can talk about is she was a prostitute. She used to sleep around and the Pharisees didn't want anything to do with her because, again, she was seen as sinful, unclean. She was living in sin and making those conscious choices. But Jesus wasn't bothered by that. Jesus wasn't bothered by her sins. He wasn't bothered by her lifestyle. He actually tells the leaders a story and makes her an example says that actually, I, you know, when I came in, none of you fed me, none of you washed me. And this woman did. She laid at my feet and wanted to do that. And says that her sins are forgiven. He wipes her slate clean. It was a shock to everyone. Jesus did 
the unexpected. Jesus is a character who does unexpected things. Jesus is a king that did the unexpected. And I think when we're thinking about God, we need to expect the unexpected because God's vision, Jesus' vision, it just surpasses anything that we can think of. So when we put God in this box of what we want, it doesn't leave room for us to expect that unexpected, for us to go, wow, I was shocked by that, but pleasantly surprised. I want to be continually moved by Jesus, continually shocked by Jesus. But I also want to go, wow, I saw that and I think it's wonderful, rather than me being shocked because I had a very different perspective of what I thought God looked like and it didn't meet my expectation. Does that make sense? I hope it does. It says in verse 16, his disciples didn't understand at the time that it was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realised the things that were written about him. At the time, the disciples didn't know what was about to happen. You know, this book was written years and years after the event. So they're looking at this event with hindsight. They're looking and going, at the time when I was in the crowds, in that excitement, in that hype, I didn't know what was about to happen. Nobody knew what was about to happen except for Jesus. They didn't know that in a few days, the most devastating, the most impacting event of history was about to take place. Jesus knew he was going to be crucified on the cross. And the situation he found himself in was not unexpected for him, but it was unexpected for the disciples. And how often do we not notice what God is doing until years later? When we look back and have that hindsight and go, oh yeah, God, now I actually see what you were doing. Instead of actually being in the moment and asking, God, what are you doing with this? You know, right now you might be going through something tough. You know, we've just celebrated a year of being church online and maybe that is tough for you. But at the start of the journey for my church online, I didn't know what God was going to do because quite frankly, I kind of thought it was going to be over in a couple of months time. That's my naivety. But I have seen God move. I've seen God do things in this year and I bet you have too. And Jesus is working through that. He's not bound by our expectations of what it should have looked like. God is surpassing our thinking for that. There are so many times where God is doing something different to what I think he's doing. And again, I'm pleasantly surprised when I go, when I just stop and ask God, hang on, I've got the wrong end of the stick here. I'm trying to put my perspective on you. Let's start again. What are you trying to say in this moment? How can we expect that unexpected? In Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Israel. See your king come to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. 
This event was already spoken about. This was the prophecy being spoken about. Again, this event wasn't a surprise. It wasn't the unexpected to Jesus. This event is portraying the king to come. This is a king that doesn't have riches on earth, but has an abundance of riches in heaven. The king that is coming is, you know, the king that wants to share his kingdom with us. It is the king that wants to have a relationship with his people that says, come in, wants to invite us into his home. That is the king that we are talking about. I don't know about you, but I've never had an invitation to Buckingham Palace to sit and have dinner with the queen. I've never been invited to have a coffee with uh, Prince William because it's just not the done thing. It is wild to think that the King of Heaven invites you and me to have a relationship with him, to come in and have what we call an inheritance. There is a, such a difference between thinking about this in an earthly realm versus a spiritual realm. And if you're new to church, you might have heard people talking about being blessed with riches, being blessed with, you know, the kingdom's in inheritance. But that doesn't mean we're going to be all driving around in fancy cars and living in expensive houses. We're talking about the inheritance that is promised to us through heaven. So 2 Corinthians 4 verses 18 says as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal so when we're talking about in the bible this promised king this promise for us that we will inherit riches we're not talking about through the post i'm about to receive a bar of gold and boom ready to go we're talking about the unseen stuff, the heavenly realm, spiritual realm, that riches and inheritance that we're going to receive by a king that looks very different to what an earthly king is. There is an inheritance waiting for us and that is because of who Jesus is. Because what Jesus has promised to do, we are now able to gain access to heaven and we have been given a priceless inheritance by the king the bible talks about this in 1 peter verses 1 uh, sorry chapter 1 verses 3 to 9 it says all praise to god the father our lord jesus christ it is by his great mercy that we have been born again because god raised jesus christ from the dead now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undelified, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for us all to see. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith, it is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honour on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world.
You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. So my last point this morning is that there is a difference between looking at things from an earthly perspective versus a heavenly perspective, which people weren't grasping at the time. This prophecy is talking about heavenly salvation and heavenly riches. It's not talking about earthly riches. The disciples and the people in the crowds had their eyes set on something that was important on earth. They totally lost focus of what is happening in heaven or what was to come. Our eyes need to be looking towards that heavenly realm, not what is happening on earth. And I know it is easier said than done. I almost guarantee all of us do it, myself included. I'm not preaching this message knowing that it's easy. I'm not preaching this message certainly knowing that I've got it in hand because shocker alert, I don't. But it's one of those things that we need to strive for to constantly bring our perspective back to that heavenly king, looking at God on the throne in heaven instead of looking at that perspective on earth. Matthew 6 verses 9 to 21 says, Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourself that can be, cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay or lose their value. For your heart will always pursue what you esteem as your treasure. So let's not be like the disciples that lost their focus of the kingdom. They lost perspective. They forgot that Jesus was king, the promised king to come. They got caught up in all the fun and the parades and the hype of Easter without recognising who Jesus was. And in hindsight, then went, ah, now I understand what Jesus came to do. We don't need to live in that hindsight because we can already live in that promise that a king has come for us, that we are forgiven, that someone has saved our souls. That is exciting. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendour for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. We can celebrate that this is an everlasting kingdom, that Jesus will always be on the throne, that no matter what is looking unstable, what is looking unsturdy at the moment in the world around us, that we have a king that is stable, that is reliable, that is steadfast. That's the king we serve. The king that is, you know, so steady for us that we can grasp onto and we can lead. You know, so often we're talking about our government and do, are they making the right choices? Do I agree with them? Don't I agree with them? And it just gets so confusing. But I feel blessed and I hope you feel blessed that we have a king that isn't like that. 
that isn't caught up in the worldly struggles, isn't caught up in the politics, isn't caught up with the problems of today. No, we have a king that is steadfast and is sturdy and that we can rely upon. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you are consistent. You are consistent in our inconsistencies, Lord. And I just pray that we have a fresh perspective of who you are this morning, of what being a king of heaven looks like, Father. Give us a taste of what heaven is like. Lord, I pray you bring heaven onto earth. And we know more and more about your character daily as we focus on the Easter story. Thank you, Father, for this week. Amen.